Good morning. I'm so happy to be here today with you and to look at one of the most wonderful texts in the Bible. And I pray that what will happen in all of our hearts is that we will grow in faith. Our faiths will become more deeply rooted in the things that we know are absolutely true. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is hearing God and believing that what God said is exactly real. Not not, not real. It is ultimate reality. If God said it, it is true, I believe it. I hear, and I believe, and I obey. That's been a theme through the book of Hebrews, hearing, believing, obeying. What are the initials for that? Somebody wrote me afterwards, and, or saw me afterwards, and says, like, that is the ultimate HBO Max. <laughs> and he put it in his journal, and he just said, this is my HBO for life. I hear God, I believe God, and I obey God to the max. Okay, so cancel your other su- subscription. And do that. And like that will help us live the life of faith. We're in chapter 12. You have your Bible. Let's open together. Chapter 12 verses actually 1 through 17 is our text. We'll see how far we get. The analogy in this text is that of a race. Actually, verse 1 says... Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That's verse 1. The idea, then, is therefore, in light of what's come before, let us run the race with endurance. The race set before us. The idea of this text flows out of this analogy of running a race to win. Running a race with endurance. It is not a sprint. It is not a jog around the the track. It is a marathon. We have professional runners in this audience whose life has been dedicated to helping people run and run to win. This text is that we would run to win. And in order for that to happen, we have to understand a couple things. It is um, four things I want to give to you about this text. It is, um, before we get there though, a a race that has to endure, and it's a, a race of faith. It follows chapter 11. And at the end of chapter 11, a week ago, we talked about the triumphs of faith. And maybe you went home and you made a note of the the ways you have had the opportunity in your life to experience faith, to have a triumphant experience. But the end of chapter 11 ends with those 
whose life on earth came to an abrupt end because they had faith in God. And I think those two experiences of really triumphant experiences of conquering kingdoms and women receiving their children back at resurrection, of executing justice and then being sawn in two, living in the wilderness, being destitute, being hungry. Those two kinds of experiences are all a part of the ups and downs of life. And that's why the race that we run is a marathon. It's a long journey. It's what Eugene Peterson said, the life of faith is a long obedience in the same direction. The call of today is to is to call us to get in line with those who preceded us and to run the race of faith. Believing that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, in order for that to happen, verse 1 tells us, first of all, still in the introduction, that we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. That's all of the people in chapter 11. They are the cloud of witnesses. I I want to suggest to you that they are not in heaven looking at you. Everybody say, phew. I don't think the witness is that they are witnessing us in how we're doing. I'm not sure they are. I hope they're not. I think they're the witnesses to a life of faith through which they were commended to God. Their life is a witness that God can be trusted in everything that he said. They are the witnesses who went before us through ups and down valleys and mountains and, and the very top and the very lowest, and they have testified by their life that God can be trusted through thick and thin, up and down, and they witness to the fact that God is faithful and so we can have faith in him. They're the cloud of witnesses. Now, before we go further, they, they lived a long time ago. And we need witnesses today who can say boldly in a culture that denies the existence of God and the existence of His grace that there is a God and that He is gracious to sinners. We need new witnesses. And some of us are called to step forward and say to others around us, there is a God who can be trusted. And so run the race with endurance, the long race. Do you know what the word race comes from? The Greek word agon, A-G-O-N. So what... English word do we get from that? Agony. Agony. <laughs> because it's hard. It's a race. It, you run and it's long. And the race is that way. And you run with steady determination to keep going. Now the writer of Hebrews has just said they, 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 they in chapter 11. And they ran the race and they were commended. And then, who's he talking to in verse 1 of chapter 12? We, us, let us. 
So he's moved from an explanation of history in exegeting the experiences of the Old Testament saints who lived by faith through thick and thin, and now he's saying to us, here's our day. We need to run the race that is set before us. I don't know what your race is or how, what road it takes, but your race will be a little bit different than mine. It's all the race of trusting that what God said is true. There are four things I want to suggest to you. Number one, in order to survive the race, to live the race with endurance, to run it to the end, to reward, there is first of all something to lay aside. Something to lay aside. Actually, there are two things in verse 1, but something to lay aside. Let us also lay aside the weight and sin. Those are the two things. What is a weight? A weight is an encumbrance. So you think about running a race, and you get ready to run a race, and if you run with boots on, you'll run one kind of race. And if you run with, you know, some slick shoes, running shoes, you're already ahead of the game than if you're wearing combat boots or big sweats or, you know, a parka. You run with certain gear and you strip down to what you only need to run the race. You lay aside everything else. When you're training, you might run with weights on, but when you run the race to win the prize, you are stripped down to what you absolutely only need to run that race. These weights that he said, lay aside every weight, are not even defined. So let's let the Holy Spirit help us understand what are the weights that hurt the Christian race to believe in what God said. What are the hindrances that in and of themselves, like boots are good, and a parka is good, And what are the things in our life that we might need to lay aside that are the weights that would keep us from living the Christian life full of faith? I'll give you a couple ideas and then one personal illustration. Um, I think we need um, space in our brain to think about the things of God and everything that the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us here. So with what are you filling your mind that you might need to stop filling your mind with? Time on your calendar. A crowded calendar could be a hindrance. Would you agree? You jam everything in there, and then pretty soon you're just marching through everything that your calendar demands of you, and you don't have time to live by faith anymore. There could be pressures that are in our finances that could be a weight, things that we're able to buy, and then we buy, and then those things become an encumbrance. Have you ever bought something that you thought was going to be a beautiful reward, and it ended up being a millstone around your neck? Hmm. That's too convicting. Okay, don't do that. (laughs) I'm just saying, you have capacity to do certain things, and then you do them because they're good in and of themselves, and it seems free to do it, and then you do it, and then suddenly it becomes an hindrance to your life of trusting in God with all of your heart. Have you ever had that experience? Video games could be good, and then they could be a weight. 
to the life of faith. All right, am I getting too close? Do you know what I said in my life? I, I said in my personal life, I take, I've taken a lot of grief over the years. I'm not on social media. My choice, my race, me and God, I chose that. No judgment. The world is on social media. I get mocked all the time. It's my decision. No, no judgment. I will answer to God, I think for me it would be a wait. I even tried. Recently. I thought I should. And the next day it got shut down. I got a notice. You tried to sell your address to get many followers. No, I didn't. I don't even know how to do this. I, my account was closed. I said, okay, Lord, I'm not doing that. <clears throat> and I'm, I live with my ignorance of it. But I, for, for all the years that it's been there, I just said, I'm not going to do that. Because I think it would be an unnecessary wait for me. It's a good thing. And I miss out a lot, although a lot of people send me things. <laughs> I don't know what the weight is for you. But to run a race in which you have faith in God, there may be certain things that you have to set aside. Things that in and of themselves are perfectly fine, but they crowd a life of faith. Would you just ask God to run a good race? Those weights have to be gone. And then, what else do you lay aside? Sin. Sin. Because sin, if weights hinder us, sins bind us up. The old King James, I think, said besetting sins. Sins that, that trouble us and, and uh, beset us. And many people have thought that you just have to identify what your besetting sin is. Maybe it's a love of money. Maybe it's a love of approval. Maybe it's sexual temptation. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's gossip. You, you have a sin that trips you up. Well, maybe. But, but generally speaking, all sins crowd out our ability to trust in God in the way that we ought to. Is that not right? Sin uh, robs us of energy. It takes away our energy to do the things of God. When we get stuck in a sin, it, it, we have to hide it. And then hiding it takes energy. And then we don't want anybody to know that we're in this sin. And so pretty soon we're spending a lot of energy that really could be used to trust in God with all of our heart and all of our strength. Sin is a thief that robs what God wants for himself. In fact, Psalm 32, David said, when I kept silent about how blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. That's a happy condition. And then he says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away and my bones ached because I was trying to hide my sin. But when I opened it up to God and I confessed my sins, I found forgiveness. If you're here today and you're stuck in sin, you know you're living in a way that God wouldn't approve of, could you just listen to what the Bible says? 
you are happier to confess your sins and find forgiveness with him. When we sin, we get ourselves in a bind and spend a lot of energy in places that we shouldn't. So what is the sin that's tripping you up in the race of faith of trusting God? Let us lay it aside. There's something to lay aside. Before we leave this, could I say in the Greek language, when it says this, it actually says, and thus sin. There's a direct article there that says, so lay aside the weights that hinder you from the life of faith, and thus sin. I think it's possible, but what the writer of Hebrews has in mind as the sin that hinders our life of faith, drumroll, thank you, is doubt and faithlessness. I mean, think of the flow of the whole discussion of through chapter 11, faith is assurance, thanks hope for, but the real sin that trips us up is when we don't believe what God said is going to be the assurance of things that are really going to happen. So we, we have a life of faith. Run the race of faith. It's set before you. We have a cloud of witnesses who preceded us. They testify that God can be trusted. So let's run our race and lay aside every weight that encumbers trusting in God with all of our heart and any sin that gets in the way of that, whatever that is. And the second thing we should do, verse 2, is what? Look unto Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's something to lay aside, and there's someone to look to. And that one is Jesus. Now, the point of all of this section is that Jesus is the one who went before us. And so we look to him. We've already been told in chapter 10, verse 24, that we can look to each other. Um, we, we meet with each other. We encourage one another. We don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together because we're encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. So it is true that when we come together, uh, and from what I said earlier, we, we need new models of faith who will stand up in this congregation and say to younger generations, following God, no matter what, is the right thing to do under every circumstance in any culture, regardless of what's happening. We need the older generation to say to the younger generation, I went through the valley, I was on the mountaintop, I know what it is to have a family and a career and struggle and be with little and still trusting God and believing his promises is the way to live your life. So that younger generations could say, I grew up in a church with a crowd of witnesses and they witnessed to the life of faith in their family, in their career, they said no to sin. They said yes to God. It is right to look at one level to each other and encourage one another all the more. And of course, there's chapter 11. It's okay. It's good. We're encouraged. It's there for us. Look at all these heroes of the hall of faith who lived for God and suffered loss but kept trusting him. That's good too. But to whom do we look most? Look to Jesus. 
And when you run in a race, you know, you can't really run long like this. You, you can. You may want to see who's coming down over your shoulder, but it's a quick glance. Right, Mark? And not long. I mean, you don't run like this. You, you, you run straight ahead, eyes on the prize, eyes forward, eyes on Jesus. And that's what's being said here. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And there are three things about him that I want you to see in this verse. Number one, his power. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He, that word author is he is the forerunner. He's the champion in athletic language. He's the initiator. He's the one who makes it possible. He is the initiator and the champion of faith. And he is the, the finisher of it, the perfecter of it. He brings faith to its intended goal. And we look to him and keep our eyes on him while we're running because he's the one who can give us faith. He's the one who then brings our faith to completion that we will be truly saved, truly born again, truly forgiven, and truly in his family. He's the one who made faith possible. So we keep our eyes on him. Jesus, I'm saved only because of your grace. And I know I'm only going to make it to heaven because you paid it all and I trust you completely. Right? So we keep our eyes on him for that. And then it says um, something about his passion. Because he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame. His passion was, I will go through the cross so that I might arrive in my place in heaven, having accomplished all that God sent me to do. Jesus is the one who actually came to earth to do the work of the Father, to complete it. We call Easter week the Passion Week because of his love for us and his desire to do what his Father intended. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And he, really one way to think about despising the shame, he scorned the scorn that came to him. He went through all this scorn to go to the cross. He was rejected of men, and he said, I, I don't care because I'm going there. You see why you have to look to him now, we're going to see? Because he went through that to get to the joy that was set before him of doing the will of the Father and being at the right hand. And that's the third thing here, his position. And then he was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's powerful enough to create faith and give salvation. He has a passion to go to the cross and, and overcome and, you know, slog his way through rejection and shame to get to the right hand of his Father. We look to Jesus. You know, when you think about why do we sometimes lose faith, it's because, um, because of the pressure, because of the, the difficulty. And we're told to keep our eyes on Jesus because he is the example of the one who went all the way through the difficulty of the cross, the trauma of the cross, and was faithful and endured. 
And really what we're talking about is can you endure this race of faith as you run it in 2021 here in the place that you are? Are you still running believing that God has called you to this race? There's something to lay aside and there's someone to look to. Keep our eyes upon Jesus. Verse 3 continues this idea. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not, everybody, grow weary or faint-hearted. You, you don't give up. You don't grow weary and faint-hearted. You don't give up. We keep running. Are you still in the race? Still believe in God? Consider Jesus. Think about him. The faith that we're talking about is not a faith that isn't rooted on intellectual understanding of the truths that God has told us. It is that we're called upon to consider in our minds who Jesus is, what he said he came to do, that he did it, and where he is now. So we think about him a lot. You know, sometimes when um, I'm studying, I will read this edition of the Bible, which is a, a paraphrase. It's not what I study in, but it's sometimes what I refresh my thinking about when I feel like I'm going stale. It is Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase. So it's not a word for word. It's a colorful commentary translation. Translation, paraphrase. You with me? So let me read it to you because it blessed me in this part. Verse 1, do you see what this means? Thinking about chapter 11. All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging a little in your faith, go over that story again and again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through that will shoot adrenaline in your veins. That's not a word-for-word -word translation from the Greek, but it's colorful. And what does it do? It sort of calls you to say, Keep looking at him. Study everything about Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. You cannot run looking sideways. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. There's something to lay aside, and there's someone to look to. And because of the context of Hebrews chapter 12, we know that the audience was going through difficult pressures, pressures from the culture to give up on Christ, to to stop believing and to move away from this new movement of Christianity? Do you ever feel pressure from the culture you live in to not be a Christian? 
Do you ever feel the weight of pressure in the world in which we live to stop believing? Well, what the writer turns to next is that there is an experience that all of us go through that we, thirdly, have to lean into. Lean into. And it begins in verse um, 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Jesus did. So you're looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He went all the way to the cross. He actually shed his blood. You haven't done that yet. So keep going. Verse 5. And you haven't forsaken the exhortation addressed to you as sons, have you? And now he's going to exhort them. Um, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary, there's that word again, when reproved by him. Verse 6, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he chastises every son whom he receives. I want to talk to you a little bit about the suffering of, the discipline of suffering. Every runner knows that it takes discipline to the point of suffering if you're going to run to win. Would the runners agree with that? Okay, no pain, no gain. Okay, and, and the, really to, to run the race. Okay? <laughs> and sometimes that suffering is brought on by God in order that we would be, stay on the track. And that's what he's going to talk about now. There's a process of discipline that God does in the lives of his children. And he does that in order to keep them in the race. Not to overwhelm them, but to help them run the race well. So as there's an experience of discipline that we have to lean into, something to lay aside, someone to look to, and an experience to lean into. And um, it, it's this experience of God working in our life through adversity to do what he desires to do. Adversity is one of the experiences that some who do not have a legitimate faith causes them to walk away and to reject God. But those who have saved by the grace of God persevere through the different difficult experiences. There's four things I want you to know about this experience of discipline. The writer puts it in a positive light that discipline is necessary. Sometimes discipline comes because we have sinned, and so we're, in a sense, being punished or uh, chastised as a father would. And sometimes discipline comes because God wants to refine us. Let's see if we can sort it out here. Verse 7 says, first of all, that it's normative for our spiritual development. Everybody, if you're a Christian, suffering is going to be normative. Everybody say... Uh If you're a Christian and you want to follow God, sometimes suffering is going to be a normative part of your experience. I don't care what you saw on TV. It's going to be a normative part of your experience. Look at verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. It's normative to go through adversity. Why? 
We're walking in the steps of Jesus. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. The student is not greater than the master. The disciple, not more than the master. The teacher, if the teacher suffered, will the student suffer? Answer, yes, it's likely to occur that we're going to suffer. And it's normative, not unusual. Number two, it's from love. Verse 6, we already read, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. Number three, it's part of family experience that we belong to him so as a father would discipline his children. Uh, so verse 8, if, if you're left without discipline, of which we've all participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides, we have this, uh, verse 9, not on the screen, we, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Father's discipline, most of the time. It's going out of style, but loving fathers discipline their children. And we respected our fathers for the discipline they gave to us. And so we trust God that when adversity comes to us, we lean into that experience of being disciplined by God because it's necessary for us. That's verse 10. Verse 10 says, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our, everybody, our good. God is working all things together through difficulty and through pleasure for our good so that we may share in his holiness. God is up to something when he lets his people go through difficulty. It might be loss, it might be suffering, it might be persecution, it might be rejection, but I want to say to every young person here who thinks that the Christian life is going to be all glorious because you gave yourself to God, he owes you a beautiful, perfect life. It's coming. It's coming. That's point four. Point three is, Before it gets here, we will follow the steps of Jesus and need endurance to go through difficulty and challenges, some of which come from the outside, but they come under the lens of a loving father who says, I will not allow you to have more than what you can bear, and I will be with you through the fire, and I will never leave you or forsake you, and this discipline is going to come for your good that you may share in his holiness. Many times the point of what God is doing and allowing us to go through adversity is refining something on the inside that we thought we took care of, but God's going to take care of it more. God's working in the midst of that. And the last thing I'd say about this is it's painful, but it's fruitful. That's verse 11. Verse 11 says, for at the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Do you get that? Kids, you understand that? Discipline's painful? Yeah. But ultimately, what do you think your parents have in mind when they discipline you? Hmm? You're going to be able to be with other people, and, and um, they're going to think you're polite. Nice. 
parents discipline us for our good. And God does that for our good. It's painful in the moment, but look what it yields. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Trained by it. God's up to something. So we're running a race of faith, believing God, and either by our own sinful doing, we get followed along by God who says, no, no, don't do that. Let me get you there. Or the world presses in and creates affliction for us. And in the midst of suffering, we turn our eyes to God and say, God, how long will you let this happen? And he said, I'm with you still in it. I could remind you of so many places in the Bible where we are told that it was good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. Psalm 119, verse 71. You think a person in the Old Testament who was most afflicted, but God had a plan for it, it would be Job, right? It would be Job. And at the end of Job's life in chapter 42, he finally comes to this place where he says to God, I heard of you with the hearing of my ear, 42 verse 6, but now my eyes see you, God. Therefore, I despise myself, I repent in dust and ashes. I thought I knew what was what, but now though I've been through this suffering experience, I know who you are because suffering experiences have a tendency to help us get our eyes on God and to see him in a way that we otherwise might not have. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul had this thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? And he said, three times I prayed that God would take this away from me. But of this thorn in my flesh, it was given to me a messenger of Satan that God wouldn't take away. Do you know what it was for? To keep me from being a proud man. I suffered. Because God was working through his suffering to create holiness And the fruit of righteousness, when they're trained by it, God sometimes sends suffering experiences in our race of faith. If you've been in the suffering experiences and you grew through it, would you just raise your hand? You think God loved you less to go through that? No. Right? This is our time our race, our race of faith, and I don't want you to grow weary. I want you to have the same faith that, that there will be always be some sin that we're fighting against. Lay it aside. There's someone to look to. It's Jesus who went before, and so our eyes are on him. There's a suffering experiences that are inexplicable at times, And we may not know till heaven why we suffered in the way that we did. But what we can know is that Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down. He's the forerunner. He's there. We are going to follow in his steps and go through some valleys. But the last thing we're going to do is long for the reward, and that's the last section, which we don't have too much time to get to, but I will just point out to you um, that verse 11 says, after 
you know, strengthen your drooping hands and weak knees. Make your feet straight, verse 13. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What's the goal? I want to see the Lord. This is a warning again. This is the fourth warning, verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no one has a root of bitterness that springs up inside and causes any trouble and becomes defiled. Be sure you're not sexually immoral and holy like Esau, who in immediate gratification sold his birthright. Immediate gratification, not the long run. Sold his birthright for a single meal. It's like, no, this is, a, this is a run of faith. And the reward is there. All through Hebrews, there's a reward there. Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Look, there's something to lay aside. There's someone to look to. There's a, an experience of suffering to lean into. And there is a reward to long for that it will be worth it. It will be. The reward for those who persevere. Okay, let's close. You know this hymn. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Do you know why the world draws you? Why the world and all of its promises seem better at times than believing in a suffering Savior? Because we're, we're looking sideways while we're running. And you can't run well looking sideways or worse looking behind. Let's get our eyes on him. You with me? Okay, let's pray together. Lord, I don't know what weight you've brought to our attention today, but I've trusted that the Holy Spirit's just going to bring to our mind maybe something that we need to modify a little bit to give a little more space in our brain for our suffering Savior to be center. And whatever it is we've spent our, our time looking at, gazing on, maybe it's electronic, maybe it's a device that we look at more than we look at Jesus. I, I just pray you would um, sort of lean into our soul and let us make some decisions of faith today. It takes faith to get our eyes off our phones and onto Jesus. I pray you'll give us that faith. And then I pray for anybody who's going through a challenging experience of suffering. And today they, they've had to wonder where you are in the midst of it. And maybe they've learned today that you're the loving Father in the midst of a disciplined experience, a, a hard um, suffering experience that really you're in the midst of that, working something for good. And it takes faith to believe that. So I pray you'll awaken faith in our hearts in that moment. And then, God, if our eyes have just been on other things and we have think that the best that we're going to get is in this world, I just pray you'll help us long to see you, to be with you, to move toward you. And to believe that the reward of faith is coming. And even as now that we can live in this moment by faith, we draw near to you. Help our unbelief, I pray, in Jesus' name.
Amen.